hey, good morning again, South Fellowship. You may notice the baptismal up on the stage. You, um, if you see that, you're correct. We are doing baptisms today, and so there's a few people signed up for each service, which is really exciting. We'll get the chance to celebrate together uh, this morning. But if you're a follower of Jesus and have not yet been baptized, today might just be your day. And so if you sense the Lord's prompting, just know um, we are open to the Spirit's leading in that, and we'd invite you to jump in, quite literally, later on in the service. <laughs> well, last weekend, as the elders were heading up to Estes Park for our retreat, our middle school group was also heading up to a retreat. They were going up to Buena Vista, and they had left at 5 p.m. and were heading up 285, and there was a sign over the road that said, Road Closure in Fair Play, which isn't a good um, thing if you're heading to Buena Vista. So through a few radios back and forth to the various vans, they decided to take a little bit of a detour, and they eventually found themselves at Wadsworth and Chatfield, <laughs> right near where they left from. <laughs> And from there, they headed up I-70 to miss the road closure, and what ended up being, what was supposed to be a two-and-a-half-hour trip up to the mountains, ended up being a five-hour excursion. Isn't it interesting how we spend most of our lives trying to avoid situations like that, and they're the very things that stick with us? Have you ever thought about that? Like, the perfect trip usually isn't the one that you remember the details of. It's the one that was a total mess. Right? Where you go, oh, you remember that trip where nothing went right in hindsight? Wasn't that great? You know? And we spend a lot of our lives trying to figure out what's the right way to go and what's the right thing to do. And it's oftentimes in those in-betweens, in those detours, in those closed doors that life actually starts to come alive. That's why we've called this series, Life is a Maze-ing. Because it is. It's both. A number of years ago, there was an app that came out for your phone called the Waze app. How many of you have this downloaded onto your phone, right? So the Waze app is a, an app that you load, and it tells you where the traffic is, and it also tells you the quickest way to get from point A to point B, point B taking into account all the traffic jams and all of the detours. It even has on here um, policemen and where they're stationed. Don't download it now, um, but... You can download it after the service. I thought to myself when I was looking at this, I mean, so many of us, we, we want a way zap for life, don't we? We want a way to avoid those detours. We want a way to avoid those closed doors. And most of us, when we think about God's will, what we have in mind is God being the divine ways app for our life. When we think about God's will for our life, what we typically think about is wide open doors, smooth sailing, success at every turn. Like if we could just get God's will, then everything would fall in line. And isn't that what we typically have in mind when we pray for God's will? God, show me what your will is. I don't want to encounter closed doors. I don't want to encounter detours. I want it to be smooth sailing because you're a good God and that must be what you have for me. Right? Well, the only problem with that is the Bible. If you have your Bible, open to Acts chapter 16. Because it's true. Life doesn't often turn out that way. And if it hasn't turned out that way for you, 
I just want to maybe gently remind you this morning, you are not alone. If you were here a few weeks ago and we did a message on Acts chapter 15 and we sort of laid out this triangulation of how to figure out where God might be leading and where God might be moving, we looked at what I called the most important decision the church has ever made at the Jerusalem Council. That was in Acts chapter 15. And after that, Paul and his running mate Barnabas make a plan. They make a plan to go and take this news and the good news of Jesus to a number of churches. This is their second missionary journey. They've already done one missionary journey, which is why it's the second. They've already done one missionary journey, and their plan is to go back and visit the churches that they had planted and started and to encourage them in the time that they'd been away. Well, before they leave, Paul and Barnabas have a, a split, and so Paul is going without Barnabas, and he's running on the plan that together they enacted, and here's what we read. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, say that word with me, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord, what? Did not allow them. Did not allow them. So Paul comes up with this plan, right? You can maybe imagine them drawing in the sand. I mean, who knows how they planned exactly where they were going to go. And then we're going to go here. And then we're going to go there. And then we're going to preach the gospel to that church. And then we're going to encourage those people. Oh, and you, you, remember, you remember that couple and how they came to faith? Oh, I can't wait to build into their life. And they have this plan. And they start going. And as they cover just a little bit of ground... You can see they started here in Antioch, and as they cover this ground, they get to this point right here on the map, and they hit a closed door. They hit a detour. So follow me here. Follow me here. Paul's plan was to go sort of where this purple line goes right here, and he wanted, whoa, to go to Ephesus originally, most people think. And instead, he goes and he follows this green line. Um, he walks an extra uh, roughly 400 miles just to get to Troas that he never intended to go to. I mean, can you imagine? This is like, we get upset about a minor delay in an airport or having to reroute to go a different direction because of a closed road. Can you imagine walking over 400 miles, adding months to your journey, going to places you didn't know anybody? I mean, Paul's plan is completely out the window. How many of you find a little bit of solace in that? Yeah, me too, me too. And I think one of the things we learned through the life of the Apostle Paul is that navigating doors and detours effectively positions us to live faithfully. And let me just, spoiler alert, most of the lives in this room are not going to turn out the way that we draw them up. Most of our journeys will involve closed doors. Some of them will be really, really painful. Most of our lives will involve detours, things that we never saw coming. In fact, if your life has already had some detours and closed doors, will you just raise your hand? Will you just raise your hand? Okay, so if you're, you know, just keep them up, keep them up. So if you're younger and your hand's not up in the air yet, I just want you to look around. The, the statistics say this is coming for you. <laughs> 
The really interesting part is if you go back and you read Acts chapter 9, Paul had this immensely clear calling from God. You are going to be the voice to the Gentiles. You're going to carry the gospel into new regions, into new areas. He had this uber clear calling. Everything else was foggy. I mean, we might have a similar thing, right? Like we, like, we might have this calling, if we're a parent, our, our calling is to raise kids that, that honor Jesus and grow in his love and his mercy and his goodness, but the, the how of that is different, isn't it? Is, it? is it homeschool? Is it private school? Is it public school? I mean, who knows? Who knows? Um, we know that we're called to be a prophetic voice into our political sphere, but the political landscape and climate, it's difficult to figure out how to do that, right? To do it well. Let me say that. We know we want to serve Jesus, but can we do that better as a businessman in Denver or a missionary in Africa? Uh, see, for many of us, the calling is really, really clear. God, this is what you've invited me to do. This is who you've made me to be. This is what you're calling me to step into. But the details are foggy at best, at best. So here's the, here's the big idea this morning. You and I, we have got to learn how to navigate doors, closed doors, open doors, and detours with grace if we're going to walk with Jesus effectively. Because they are coming for you, and they're coming for me. But God often uses, he often uses, and you're going to see this in Paul's life, confusion in order to clarify direction. He often disorients you before he reorients you. You've, you've probably sensed this, that before there was a season of clarity, there was a season of questioning. And we see this in the Apostle Paul's life. He had a plan. Let me show it to you. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 15. Coming out of the Jerusalem council. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and let's see how they are. That's the plan. Let's, let's, let's do that. So here's my question. What's the plan from God? It didn't play out the way Paul thought it would. Was the plan from God? I, I see the confusion on your face. And here, I don't know. I'm certainly the way that it played out, we can look at it and go, well, in hindsight, yeah, this is exactly what God was doing, and this is exactly where God was leading. Did God drop the plan into Paul's heart and give him um, uh, a direction to run in that he knew he was going to redirect? We don't know. We don't know. We only know that Paul did not execute on his original plan. It's interesting, when you read through the scriptures, there's this line in Revelation chapter 3. It says, God says, see, I've set before you an open door. But he does not say, I've set before you a finished script. I've set before you an open door. Well, for some of us, though, he set before us a few open doors. Door 1, door 2, door 12, door 13. I mean, that's where life gets really hard, isn't it? 
It's where there's not just one door that's open. There's two or three or four or 12 or 20 doors that are open. That's where life gets really, really difficult. Walter Kaufman, a Princeton professor, coined the term decidophobia. Because decisions are hard, aren't they? Decisions are really hard. They wear us out. It's easier to be told what to do than it is to have to make a decision, isn't it? Because we know when it's our decision, we're on the line. We have no one else to blame. We can't look at anyone else and go, it's your fault I'm in this position. We have to hold up the mirror and go, it's God's fault. <laughs> right? Which is what we often do, right? It's my fault. It's my fault. But choosing comes from the core of who we are. It's interesting. When the Apostle Paul is praying for the church at Philippi, a church we'll talk about in just a moment, he says this, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all what? Discernment. He's going, here's the deal. Church, you're going to have to make decisions. You're going to have to decide between door one, door two, door 12, door 14. And my prayer for you, church, Paul says, is that you'd have discernment, um, wisdom, spiritual insight from Jesus as to where to go and how to walk. That's his prayer for his church. Not that God would direct every single one of their decisions, but that they would have discernment and that they'd be able to make wise choices. In the Q&A that Aaron and I did a, a last week or a few weeks ago, one of the questions we got and answered was this. How do you discern if you've heard from God right on the way that you should go? For instance... I made a decision because I believed that I'd heard from God and it did not turn out right. How do I know if it was from God? It's a great question. You can listen to the Q&A if you want to know the answer. But I will just say, I believe Paul felt the exact same way. God, I felt like I heard from you. Where are, all, all I'm seeing is forbidden to go preach the gospel detoured by the spirit of Jesus. And I think here's the principle that we start to draw out from this. And I'd write this down. If you're seeking direction from God, this is a great principle to follow. Go until you get a no. Go until you get a no. If all the doors that are open to you, choose the one that you think honors best the story God is telling in your life. Choose the one that as you lay it before Jesus, you sense him inviting you into and know that you might not be right and go at it full speed and trust that God can open a door just as easily as he can close a door. Go until you get a no. It's sort of like a boat. If you've ever tried to turn a large boat when it wasn't moving, you probably recognize it doesn't turn all that well. But you get it moving. You get it moving in, the, in a direction and it turns a lot easier, doesn't it? See, Paul's other option and your other option is to stay until you hear from God clearly. This is exactly the plan. That's not what Paul does here. If it were, we'd have to say he originally heard from God wrong. See, Paul isn't praying for open doors. He has many of those. He's stopping at closed doors. 
And there's a huge, huge difference. Hitting the roadblock was the way that God directed the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. And it is a not inconsequential mission that he's on. And one of the things this account asks is, will we be stubborn? Will we hold on to our plan at all costs? Or will we say, God, you lead, and God, you direct. If you've ever watched a long piece of grass sway in the wind, you know that it's alive based on its flexibility. But when it dies, it becomes rigid. It's unable to blow with the wind. It just cracks, it breaks, it becomes brittle. It's true in nature, and it's true for humanity, too. The alive life is the life that's flexible, that's willing to say to Jesus, as hard as it is sometimes, I'll receive this no as your redirection. So if you're looking for some practical tools to say, all right, go until you get a no, let me just give you three, and I'm going to fly through these. A few just practical tips. One, see what your options are. Write them all down. See what your options are and write them all down. Two, this is like, you're going to be like, I'm writing this down. Two, start moving in a direction. Move in a direction that aligns, that aligns with the heart of God and seems to be in line with who he's created you to be. Three, accept closed doors with grace and allow them to redirect. I just had to put this in here since I'm a child of the 90s. It reminded me of a boys to men song. Although we've come to the end of the road And I can't let go It's unnatural You belong to me I belong. You guys hung me out to dry. I really, in my mind, what I saw was that like, you guys were just like rising up to go boys to men with me and it didn't happen. Didn't, didn't happen. It's unfortunate. But look at this with me. Look at this with me. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit not to speak a word. When they came to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. How many of you wish there were more details? Like, how, what happened? How were they forbidden? How did Jesus speak to them? Was it just this sort of like internal feeling, this hunch, this nudge? Like when we sense Jesus speaking to us, leading us in a direction, was it the same for them or did they have like the audible voice from heaven? I want to know. I did a little bit of research and what I found is we don't know. <laughs> but here's what it could be. We know that at this point in history, there's a prohibition against preaching the gospel in the city of Ephesus. We also know that there's a prohibition against even entering into Bithynia. I don't know if that's the way God redirected or not. Paul didn't seem to care about those kind of limitations in other parts of the scripture, just saying. But we don't know. That might be how God redirected. Could have been a prophetic, vo prophetic word from someone. That's sometimes the way God directed Paul. We don't know. It could have been that internal leading from the Spirit. We don't know. And I think that's intentional. Because if we did know, we'd probably go, this is the way God does it. All the time. 
every time. But sometimes we just know, don't we? We just know. And here's what we start to see as we follow Paul's path is that he starts to trust that God's provision follows God's direction. And that if you're following along in that outline, would you, will you just circle the word follows, follows God's direction? He, he's, he most of the time, at least in my life, some, maybe in yours he does it this way, most of the time in my life he calls me to step into the water before it parts. Most of the time he calls me into the fog before it becomes clear. Most of the time, it's not laying out the map going, all right, Paulson, this is exactly the way it's going to play out all the time, every time. No, most of the time, there's this sense of, God, I'm not sure if this is what you're doing, but I'm going to step in, and I might step in, and I might hit a closed door, or I might step in, and the door might open, and if it opens, God, I know you're moving, I know you're leading, I know you're guiding, it's your provision that's following your direction. That's what Paul does. I love the way that John Orberg puts it in his great little book on discovering God's will. He says, faith is not about me getting what I want in my outer world. It's about God getting what he wants in my inner world. And so we sometimes encounter these closed doors, don't we? And the question that we have to ask is, how will we respond to these God, if, if your provision follows your direction and you don't provide, where does that lead me? Where does that leave me? What if? What if we stopped only praying? And we could pray this prayer, but what if we started adding to our prayer, um, not just, God, where are you leading? God, what are you doing? God, what should I do in this given situation? But what if we started just simply listening? And just asked, what do you want to say? Like my agenda's off the table. Jesus, what, do you, what are you stirring? What do you, what do you want to say? When we look at these closed doors, there's, there are some moments, aren't there, where God doesn't provide and it leads us in a certain direction. And I just got this sense as I was preparing for this message that as your pastor, I can't gloss over that. And I can't give you like the churchy answer that if you just trust Jesus, then everything's going to turn out exactly the way that you want it to. Because some closed doors are really, really painful, aren't they? The closed door of the marriage that ended, there's no easy answer for that. The closed door for the job that you didn't get when you thought, all right, God, you give me this job, and then we're going to not only be set financially, but we're going to be able to be generous to the people around us, and this is going to glorify your name and lift you high, and that door was closed. Or maybe it's the healing that you prayed for, that you begged for, that you said, God, please come through. And the answer was no. I just want to say, if, if we weren't a church that is, would be willing to enter into that pain, you shouldn't be here, because that's real life. Um, I asked uh, Dan and Carrie Elliott to share their story of closed doors. Dan's one of my favorite people in the world, one of the most godly people I know, and he and Carrie have faced some closed doors in their life, and I want you to hear their story. 
Well, we've been married over 43 years. We're going to come up on our 44th this, uh, this summer. I did remember. <laughs> well, we're, we're Dan and Carrie Elliott. Um, we've been coming to South, it almost seems like forever, uh, but it's not. I, I think I've been on staff a little over 20 years. Mm -hmm. And at present, I am uh, the pastor of community care. And I love doing that. Hey, and you were a great teacher. So I do love children and I love being with kids and that's kind of my passion. Yeah, we had no doubts whatsoever that we'd probably have a typical family. But then it was, it was shortly after seminary when we went back to Lancaster and, and planted a, a church that we really started planning to have kids. But five years passed and so we began to do some infertility testing to see what was going on. Carrie went through a few surgeries. We got pumped up with all kinds of um, hormones, but nothing materialized. There was a point there when he said, I declare you infertile because there's nothing yeah. more we can do. Yeah. And after two surgeries and lots of infertility drugs, the diagnosis was not pregnancy, but breast cancer. I really struggled with God at times during that. I, I, I felt like I, I so much wanted to protect her. I so much wanted to intervene. I, I couldn't do anything. It was one thing for us to try to have children and be told no. It was another thing then to you know, realize that, wow, because we were trying to have children, possibly, you know, I, I could have given my wife cancer. Who knows, you know, because I wanted to go in this way. I was, I was kind of ticked at God during that time. That was an intimate struggle. Uh, I, I knew he would be there. I knew he wasn't going to leave me. I knew he wasn't going to turn his back on me just because I got angry at him. But I needed to vent. Walking through that, clo that was definitely a closed door. Um, so then we knocked on the door of adoption. We kind of heard from the adoption agencies at that point that we were too old. Yeah. And so we were yeah. rejected by many of those agencies. So then we, being a pastor, having relationships with people, yeah, there were three different adoption situations that came available. And we found ourselves on a roller coaster because all three of them fell through. So there we were again with another door yeah. closed. Um, and that hurt. And it really yeah. hurt. There's a saying, when God closes the door, he opens a window. And I really would really rather say, because that feels trite to me, that when God closes a door, he opens an avenue for trust, like a pathway for trust to lean into the unknown, because that's exactly where we were. So I continued to teach, because I still loved teaching, still loved kids. But then another very respected friend that we highly regarded as a godly man had a vision and he told us that yes God was going to give you a child and it was going to be a girl and he said I hesitate to share this because I don't share visions that often but he said you're going to name her Grace because she's going to be God's gift of grace to you yeah. that was another plan another path we thought God was leading us down yeah okay God you're you're gonna do it. You're gonna do it. We, we heard from somebody we really respect. Uh, time passed and that didn't happen. Yes. Well, one time we were with the, uh, with the students here at South, we were on a missions trip to Mexico. Uh, and, and I preached the sermon and in the context of the sermon, I think you shared your testimony. The whole church came forward afterwards and laid hands on us and prayed. I... The pastor's wife put her hand on my 
stomach and whispered in my ear, go home and get your nursery ready. So you see there's been a lot of very well-meaning and intentional people in our lives who thought too that God had that, uh, was going to open that door. Uh -huh. But he did not. I don't usually say, oh, God will open a window for you because I don't, you know, the windows he opened were breast cancer and infertility for us. Those were the doors, the next windows. Someone told us once here at South who had lost a child that the saying that God has a wonderful plan for your life really should be that God has a plan for your life that will make you wonder. And I thought, yeah, that's true. And that's okay, because we don't see the whole big picture. I remember there was one good, good, good friend here at South that just said, you know, I just want you to know your identity is not in having children. And, and that hit us. Yeah, I, I think that was a gift because we were feeling very broken, like we were incomplete. Carrie's teaching just went to a whole new level when, um, when she came to grips with that. Some way it makes us deeper. Some way it gives us more compassion. Okay, we're gonna walk through this, but, and we're gonna wrestle with it. We're gonna be sad and we're gonna be angry, but do not leave us because that's the promise she gave us. You will not leave us, and you will not forsake us. And one of the ways that I saw that work out with kids is that after I had had my cancer at school and I was teaching and um, shared honestly with the kids that it was a struggle and there were tears and I had no hair, and so they got to see my bald head. And the next year, one of those kids came back to me and said, Mrs. Elliot, Mrs. Elliot, my mom has cancer this year. And guess what I told her? I told her she can, she can trust you. Well, that just made my day because, mm. you know, that's just what I wanted them to hear, that this is the God who can be trusted even mm. in the hard things. There's something about our relationship that has become stronger, definitely stronger. And we've walked through infertility and cancer together twice. Mm. I'm a twice cancer survivor and we're infertility specialists now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that little path will not ever happen now, but yeah. um, that is what has drawn us together. <laughs> I really believe that. Huge thank you to Dan and Carrie for inviting us in. Thanks, Dan, for Aaron putting that together. Aaron said he asked one question, and Dan and Carrie shared their story for 45 minutes, and he was so emotional he couldn't ask another one. <laughs> no nice bow. I love that anthem in their life. God can be trusted even in even in the messy stuff. It, it stirred up a few questions in me. Number one was, how do we move forward when we're frustrated with God? Because the door that we so desperately want to have opened is closed. And I think one of the things that's beautiful about Jesus is that he can handle our brokenness and he can handle our pain. Like, you don't need to pretend like you're happy about something if you're not. This just in, he already knows. 
So you can, I love Dan. Dan is one of the most kind, gentle, spirit-filled men I've ever known. And he said, I was angry with God. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean you don't trust him. In fact, your anger might be because you trust him. You can admit it. But second, you can, you can also remember his love displayed in the cross and resurrection for you. That everything that comes into your life, closed doors, open doors, detours, redirections, have to pass through the cross and his love for you. I don't have an answer for why some prayers get answered yes and others get answered no. There's no simple formula for that. That's part of God's divine sovereignty and wisdom and his plan. And I, I, I don't know it. I don't know it. But I do know his love. That I'm confident in. That I will stand on. Some days, that's the only thing I can stand on. And I can also, and you can also, trust his providence, even when we're frustrated with his guidance. So that's the first question. The second question is, how do you know when it's time to persist and buckle down? And how do you know when it's time to redirect. I mean, we've all probably heard the story of J.K. Rowling um, going to 12 publishers with Harry Potter in her hand, and she got turned down all 12 times. I mean, good thing she didn't hear my sermon, right? (laughs) No, I mean, how do we know when it's time to keep knocking on that door? I mean, Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a persistent widow who annoys a judge enough that he finally says, all right, fine. I give in. Like, how, how do you know when it's time to keep going? Come on, God, please, God. God, this is in my heart. God, I long for this. God, I want this. God, please open this door. And when's it time to move on to a new door? I think, I think that Paul and his journey maybe doesn't answer the question directly because there's no pat answer for that. This is what you do in every situation. It's more a disposition of wisdom, but we can see the way it plays out in Paul's life. And and I think that might actually be a false dichotomy between persisting and redirecting. Here's what we see in his life. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. I'll show you where that is in just a moment. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Um, a tradition uh, along the line has come to think that that was Alexander the Great. Who knows? Who knows? Come over and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I mean, if you look and see where this journey is taking them, I know you can't really see that on the map, so just look up here and and follow me. Um, This is where they reach the closed door to go into Bithynia, which is up in the northern region up here. And so they go along. Here's Troas right here. And eventually, they get all the way over to Philippi. They get all the way over to Philippi. They have this vision. We all want the vision, don't we? God, lead us through the vision. Guide us through the vision. That's an okay thing to pray for. In fact, you know, God is still using dreams and visions to change the spiritual landscape of the world. A recent study that was done of Muslims who are coming to faith in Jesus, around a quarter of them come to faith in Christ because they see a vision of Jesus in a dream, quoting scripture and inviting them in. 
So pray for it. Pray for it. But here's the thing. Even if you get it, even if you get it, and your heart isn't right before God, you will not follow it. So the bigger question isn't whether or not you get the vision, it's whether or not you're ready to, as Paul does, immediately go. It's this like surrendered life that we talked about in the very first message. See, often we're really not searching for God's will. We're looking for a way to be relieved of our anxiety over having to make a decision. Or, or what we're looking for is the assurance that the future is going to turn out okay. We really don't, we we really most of the time don't want God's will. We actually want assurance. So what if he did this? What if he just did the next right thing? Like regardless of what it was or how small it was, sometimes the door isn't marked glamorous. Most of the time it's just marked obedient. So, So what if you just honored a commitment or bit your tongue? Or resisted the temptation to be a jerk. I'm, I'm just talking to me, okay? <laughs> but what if, what if at the porch of that closed door, here's what Paul does. This is why I think it might be a, a false dichotomy between um, redirecting and persisting because here's what he does. He remains devoted during his detours. He remains devoted during his detours. And in his in-betweens and in his, God, I didn't plan it this way, if you continue to read, what you're actually going to find is that Paul's devotion during his detours is the reason that the church in Philippi is planted. It's the reason that the gospel is heard by the continent of Europe for the very first time that we are aware of. It's Paul saying, I didn't plan this closed door, but I will be faithful in the in-between. I had my plan, but God, you have yours. And so I'm going to continue to follow you. I'm going to continue to walk with you in the in-betweens and listen to what happens. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there they met Lydia. And Lydia was one of the main funders of his entire mission venture. Lydia became one of the leaders in the early church. Lydia was an in-between detour, not on the map, not on the plan. Main player in the gospel. He's devoted even in the in-between. I love this. Look at this verse. And just so we think it just doesn't mean that God's will doesn't mean assurance of ease. He says this, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Somebody say amen. amen. And there are many adversaries. <laughs> Does anybody wonder how Paul knew if the door was wide open or if he was about to get his face beat in? Like, which one is it, God? And sometimes God's like, yup. Welcome to the life of faith. So lean in for a moment. Lean in for a moment. Because some of us might be, you might feel like you're in the in-between. But I just want to remind you, even if you're in between, you're always somewhere. You're always somewhere. 
And what does it look like to be fully present even if we are not where we want to be? The in-between isn't a time to give up. It's a time to press in, friends. And we keep moving while we're waiting. It's an illusion. It is an illusion to think that you will ever be standing still in life. There's always ebb and there's always flow and there's always movement. Do you know why? Look up at me. Because you're alive. Because you're alive. And if we don't find God in the in-betweens, I fear that we will never actually find God at all. At all. Your circumstances certainly shape the type of opportunities that you have. But there are always opportunities. There are always opportunities. Even in jail, Paul has opportunities. We keep, we want to, in, in our, like, our time and space, we want to wait for passion to lead us. What if we just brought passion to where we were and trusted that God would direct us. You know, one of the things that I loved in hearing in the survey that we did a number of weeks ago about our church is that this is the kind of church we have. And we have a church where people have, have said, like, I'm going to live into my passion, like, regardless of where I am and what I'm doing. One of the questions we asked was, um, how many of you are serving somewhere outside of South Fellowship Church? And almost 40% of you said, oh, yeah, I serve somewhere in my community. I loved hearing that. I mean, we have people that serve in community organizations at their schools. We have people that serve in support groups and ministries like AA. We have people that serve in missions and charity work. We have people that serve with homeless and rescue mission ministries, whiz, whiz kids, clubs and programs, community outreaches like Graceful and Food Bank and Family Promise and whiz kids and Love Inc. that serve with other churches. Awesome! that serve their families and friends, that serve refugees, that serve international programs in the U.S. I mean, I read this and I went, praise be to God that we have a church that isn't just waiting for the staff or the elders to develop a program for them to jump into, but they're going, this is my passion, this is my heart, and I'm going to do it. You know what that's called? Being the church. That's what it's called. And it's a beautiful picture of this, man, sometimes the Opportunity doesn't mean going to a new place. Maybe it means finding new and unrecognized opportunity in an old place. So if you feel like God's leading you to a certain thing, great. What does it look like to be faithful in the in-between? Before having kids, maybe it's serving in kids' ministry. Before getting married, maybe it's becoming the kind of person that loves well before becoming a missionary. Maybe it's living missionally. What does it look like to be faithful in the in-between? Here, here, just, and I'm going to end with this. I love, I love that God said, no, you're not going to Asia, Paul. I do not want you to preach the gospel there. And then later on in the same missionary journey, where does Paul find himself? In Asia. Planting a church in Ephesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. It wasn't that God said no. It was actually that he said not yet. And he just, he doesn't always say that. But in this instance, he did. See, we can hold on to the dream, but trust God with the timing. Because the reality is, friends, that closed doors often lead to open 
opportunities. And my conviction is this, as we serve faithfully on the porch of closed doors, that there will be other doors that begin to open. Maybe not the ones we planned and maybe not the ones we wanted. Yeah, God's plan for us may not be the wonderful life that we'd imagined. It may be a life that makes us wonder, but I believe it will also be a life that makes us drink deeply and say, I can't believe you love me this much. Because the greatest door, hear me on this, the greatest door has already been opened. And it was God's no to his son that opened the door to a yes to all of humanity. It was God giving his very self for you and I that opened the way for relationship with him that we could have confidence like Dan reminded us, uh, your love will never let me go. Regardless of what open doors or closed doors or redirections or detours I encounter, your love will never let me go. That door, friends, is open and is open to you today. And it frees us to say, oh, even my fear and my shame can't stand when I stand in your love. Amen? Amen. I want to give you a chance to catch your breath. I want to give me a chance to catch my breath. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song and I'm going to invite you, if you're being baptized today, I believe there's two folks in the service that are being baptized, to sneak out those doors to my left, your right, and there will be people back there to help you out, to get you situated. If you're here today and you're going, man, Ryan, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not ready to be baptized today because I don't have like clothes to change into, and I don't have makeup, and I, don't, I can't do, do my hair afterwards, um, we've got you covered, Okay. We've got you covered. We've taken everything out of the way. If you're here today and you're saying, man, I sense Jesus inviting me to take this step of faith today. You can sneak out during this song and we would love the chance to celebrate with you. Let's pray. So Jesus, there are times when we're so confident we know exactly what you're doing. And then there's the rest of life where we wonder a little bit and we don't know. And I just get this sense, Jesus, that that's, that's the space of faith to step into that unknown with you, knowing that you love us, knowing that you're good and being unsure of a lot of everything else. <laughs> so Father, I pray that you would help us be the kind of people that navigate closed doors, open doors and detours with grace that we might live faithfully and abundantly. And Lord, when we encounter those closed doors, as painful as they are, would you allow us to be honest with you, surrounded by others that would love us and care for us, and that we continue walking, knowing that we don't know how that road ends and what you'll do in those in-betweens. Thanks for being faithful in the in-betweens, Jesus. Amen.